0: K-R-C-L, Salt Lake City.
1: Support for Radioactive on K-R-C-L comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru.
0: Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, DIY creatives, And tonight, we've got Great Salt Lake reporters. I'm Laura Jones, stick around. We're gonna dive into the Great Salt Lake Collaborative of which KRCL is one of many news organizations and community partners shining a light on the plight of the Great Salt Lake, hopefully before it's too late, offering you up solutions and ways you can get involved in the issue and make a difference all on your lonesome. So coming up, we've got Fox 13 reporter Ben Winslow, fresh off Utah's Capitol Hill for Interim Day, and we also have from the Friends of Great Salt Lake, Katie Newburn is going to talk about the amount of support from folks in the community who turned out over the weekend to help clean up trash at the Great Salt Lake. And then later this hour, Heather May, the project manager for the Great Salt Lake Collaborative will be here to share news of a new panel discussion series in the community that starts on the 28th to help you get more informed about the issues. And then Chris Brown from the Nature Conservancy is going to join us later this hour. He was featured in a KSL TV story about a new wetlands project. We're working with Stormwater and building up habitat. So, stick around for all of that, folks. And also, Dirtwire was in our parking lot today. I got a short little clip and a song to share with you. They're going to be at the Commonwealth Room. Since we have so much going on on the show, I'm going to dispense with rallies and resources, but you can find it at krcl.org. Click on Community Affairs and you'll find rallies and resources, a curated list of upcoming rallies and grassroots resources that uh, we think radioactive listeners might be able to use or attend so let's welcome our first guest we've got ben winslow from fox 13 how you doing
2: good thank you for having me
0: thanks for being here and also we have katie newburn from the friends of the great salt lake how are you
3: Good thanks. Thanks for having us.
0: Now, Ben's been reporting on things happening in the Great Salt Lake. You've been actually doing work at the Great Salt Lake. I thought we would mash the two of you up <laughs> together. Does that sound good? <laughs> Sounds great. Love it. Okay. So let's start with Friends of Great Salt Lake. Remind folks about this great nonprofit in our community.
3: Yeah. So, Friends of Great Salt Lake is a membership based nonprofit um, working to preserve and protect Great Salt Lake through education, research, advocacy, and the arts. And we were founded in 1994 with that mission. So. Wow.
0: Getting close to a big old. 30 year anniversary right (laughs) all right so this weekend you put out a call to do what and why
3: so each year we organize an annual international coastal cleanup event out at the south shore of great salt lake and we had a really incredible response this year with over 130 volunteers joining us Um, and we were able to remove over two tons of trash from the southern
2: shores of great salt lake that's a lot of trash ben that's a lot. Yeah, oh you've been
0: n- you've been out there and seeing the trash, I'm guessing. Oh yeah.
2: I mean, you know, people people why are people bad? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of trash
0: are we talking? What gets
3: put out there so folks can go, Oh my, I, I dropped that on thirteenth South, <laughs> but it ended up out there? Yeah, so some of the big ticket items this year were some microwaves, mattresses, what? tires. Um, okay,
0: that
2: stuff There was, gets the, there taken was like out. the couch or the chair, wasn't there? Yeah,
3: there's a ba- There's always furniture. Um, we've had we had part of a truck, like the yeah. hull of a truck. So some big ticket items that contributed to that big weight total.
0: <laughs> that takes a lot of effort to take all of this out there and leave it, as opposed to going to the landfill or just abandoning it in town, right?
3: Right. Well, what I think we don't always recognize is that Great Salt Lake is the lowest point of our watershed. So wherever you are within northern Utah, you're connected to Great Salt Lake and our streams are all flowing toward it. So um, that has a big impact on the water quality of the lake overall. But I think, you know, specifically the dumping issue kind of Um, demonstrates the the ignorance and the lack of appreciation we've seen for decades toward the lake. And then this swell of attention and public support that's been growing over the last couple years um, speaks to, you know, again, the the turnaround of that.
0: Yeah. And what we want to see out there on the lake at its historic low and dropping by the day. So you put out the word.
3: Did you have more people this year than ever? We did. Yeah. I mean, back in 2019, we had about 60 volunteers joining us and we thought that was wonderful. And um, this year we actually had to close registration to make sure that Great Salt Lake State Park had enough capacity within its facilities to support the event. So we're trying to think about how we could potentially expand and accommodate even more volunteers for future years. But it was wonderful to have the level of participation that we did.
0: This is just once a year in one segment around the lake. So what is your call to action for people listening about this issue on the lake? Because I'm guessing you could do a self-directed cleanup.
3: Absolutely. Every day is a great day to remove trash from natural areas and waterways. we near you Um, again within northern utah there's two and a half million people who are all connected by great salt lakes watershed and anywhere you can remove trash and litter improve water quality within that area is ultimately making a difference for great salt lake and same goes for water conservation yeah
0: friends of great salt lake just one of the many community partners helping to shine a light on the Great Salt Lake. Thanks for being here. Stick around. If there's anything you want to weigh in as the peanut gallery during Ben's <laughs> conversation, please do. Okay. So Ben Winslow, Fox 13. How long have you been there, my friend?
2: Uh, 13 years now.
0: 13, 13 years. 13 at 13. I love that. Is There should be t-shirts and a pin. I should get
2: that. <laughs> I'm going to get a, I'm going to the bosses right after all right. this. <laughs> well,
0: you are all dressed up because it was interim today on Utah's Capitol Hill. Where it is lo- a special time together. on
2: interim day.
0: Okay, so folks, if you're not aware, the, the legislature meets in general session starting in January for 45 days. And then um, for most of the rest of the months, they take some time off in July and, and uh, December, they have what are called interim meetings. And you were following water today,
2: I guess, right? Water is a big topic, especially with the drought. So mm-hmm. yes, uh, I'm getting very comfortable in the Natural Resources Interim Committee. Well, <laughs> what's
0: interesting in watching what you're covering as the political reporter, because every time I, I go and see your Great Salt Lake stories they introduce you as the political reporter and ripping your strip replacing your turf getting drip irrigation is becoming a political story it sounds like
2: it's because of the resources available and the fact that government is responding to all of these uh the drought uh the declining Great Salt Lake uh climate change all of the things that we're experiencing requires a government response and is mm-hmm. the one who sits up on Capitol Hill and covers how your <laughs> taxpayer dollars are spent. Um, it's basically the money that's being allocated to these agencies, how they're responding. And uh, that's kind of how I fell into it.
0: Well, as the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, um, was it easy to kind of then go, oh, this is what I'm doing anyway, and kind of maybe tick, 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 you know, switch your reporting into solutions on the Great Salt Lake on this?
2: Uh, Yes and no. Um, I'll be honest. uh, I typically... Solutions journalism is a little bit different in that you Mm -hmm. present potential ideas that people can consider, policies that might be applicable, not saying they are or aren't. It is a little bit of a mind shift in how we cover things. Uh, I'm a little bit more old school in the sense of I, I previously have been a lot of that's the news, that's how yeah. it is, you know, this is what's going on, uh-huh. and um, it's, it's a little... It aligns
0: up to advocacy, which I'm guessing kind of makes yeah, you... Yeah, really...
2: it makes me a little nervous sometimes, and so, um, but what we're doing is we're showing people, um, here's where things have worked in other areas, here's where uh, this community has maybe tried this, or this is what the experience of this um, state had on a particular subject and you say is this something that could work here or is this a parable to you know maybe not do here kind of thing and and then pursue you know reaction also from our state leaders is saying you know what yeah. what do you think of these ideas is this good policy or not for the people of utah And along those lines
0: you're headed to nevada in the not too distant future to do some comparison
2: right um you know it's there's been a lot of talk about water conservation and you know obviously You know, yellow is the new green right now with your lawn, or just let it go brown, or maybe consider different landscaping options. Um, Right now, it's been very voluntary here in Utah. Las Vegas took a different approach. What have they been doing? Uh, it's a little bit more draconian. <laughs> uh, we see it
0: in California where neighbors are reporting neighbors for yeah. over water.
2: And and we have a little bit of that here, but it's uh, there. The, the Nevada Assembly definitely took an approach of we have to stop this. So there's mm. been a lot of changes when it comes to turf and when it comes to landscaping, what you can and can't do, uh, where the water goes, how they handle water. Uh, because, you know, they've got it pretty bad too lately. I think we
0: outpace them though in terms of water consumption for our lawns.
2: They're likely, yes, I'm still, I need to dig into that so I, okay. I'm not going to weigh in anytime. yet. i, I got to go do my reporting and then I'll <laughs> let you know. But um, we're just going to take a look at how they have uh, adapted, how mm-hmm. they've handled it, um, and look at whether or not that's something that should be applicable here in Utah. Is yeah. that policy that the folks on Capitol Hill should consider here?
0: Well, speaking of policy, one of your stories this month, Great Salt Lake a sovereign entity worthy of legal rights. You dug into this. I want to get a little bit of this um, story on the air with you. You know, we've seen in New Zealand, the Whanganui got sovereignty or personhood. Uh, the Klamath River in um, where the York tribe uh, it runs through, they've declared it personhood. Canada, the Magpie River in 2021. Ecuador, 2008, uh, rights of nature in their constitution. And is any of this hitting lawmakers, the global rights of nature movement? Movement?
2: It's just starting to be discussed. And the group that was advancing this is uh, called Save Our Great Salt Lake. And uh, they, they've they even told me that this is a longer term goal for them yeah. uh, to pursue. Uh, but they definitely have been calling for increased and more dramatic action to save the Great Salt Lake, the measures that are being taken in, on a policy level are not enough and not quickly enough. Um, And this is just an idea that they threw out there saying, and it is, they've said, a long-term goal. So it's not just an idea, it's something that they would like to build to, but um, this idea of ensuring that the lake has rights legally, uh, otherwise, to ensure that it is protected and that it has the adequate supply of water that it needs
0: so we're talking about the global rights of nature movement we've seen it around the world but here in utah lawmakers i i don't know it's, it was a lot to have a republican stand up and say climate change is something we need to work on in a past legislative session but you know but they passed a rights, resolution yeah, on yeah a resolution which is uh, interesting compared to to a law or a uh, proposed bill in fact there are some bills i'm hearing word of more bills on water, what are you hearing?
2: There will be a number of laws, a number of bills that will be passed and proposed. Um, A lot of it will deal with funding Mm -hmm. um, because one thing that we're all discovering is it takes money to make this happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Water conservation measures, I think you're gonna see a lot more rollout in terms of expanding conservation measures. In the briefing that I was in this morning on the state's overall water situation, um, agriculture water optimization has done really well. They've had a lot of applicants. People are interested, and this is a program. So agriculture, as we all know, is the state's largest water user. They they use the bulk of it. But um, what they're doing is they they a lot of the technologies and techniques that they use right now are really outdated and do waste some water. So what they've been offering, what the state through the Department of Agriculture and Food and the Department of Natural Resources is offering incentives. Uh, matching grants, things like that to get uh, agriculture producers to switch to more water-saving technologies. I went up to a farm in Tremont to talk to some farmers about that, you know, who've implemented it. Um, yeah, it costs some money. It costs several hundred, hundred thousand, thousand dollars. dollars. It's not cheap. It um, But when they did, they did start seeing savings quite immediately. Mm. And the question that, you know, we got to see how this plays out. But when you switch all these people to it, does that mean more water gets to the Great Salt Lake?
0: Yeah. Especially if you're in the
2: Bear River area. That's the big question. we got to see.
0: Mm. Well, you know, the whole argument about climate change and if we here in the States uh, reform and – and do things to to, uh, address this issue. Well, China's not. And I think that kind of comes into the conversation. Well, the early adopters of things that save water, what about everybody else? They're just using the same or more? Is that uh, an argument anymore among lawmakers, or are they beyond that and saying it's time to really do this and buckle down and not worry who is on board. Somebody's got to step
2: up and start. What I've seen, I haven't seen so much international discussion and maybe <laughs> I'm just not privy to that, but what I have <laughs> seen is a, a willingness by a lot of lawmakers to address the, the immediate challenges in front of us. We got water, we got water issues, we really do. Yeah. And so there's discussions about, you know, of course, incentives for people to uh, change to getting rid of your non-functional turf Uh, to trying new things, to uh, incentives to go for low-flow toilets, incentives to go for smart controllers on your sprinkler systems, things like that to get people to do this. Also, just encouraging conservation, pushing conservation, and, and making it a top priority. We have seen a noticeable shift, particularly as the Great Salt Lake has declined.
0: Yeah. In September 19th, your story there, get paid to get rid of turf and switch to water-saving tech. This is the $5 million incentive for residential, for consumers?
2: That's right. And it's going to be rolled out next year. Okay. Do I got to sign up now or I'm I'm You can sign up now. (laughs) You can sign up to be notified when the application period opens. Um, The people at DNR, at least that division that are dealing with it, have been dealing with other things like secondary water metering Mm -hmm. installation. So... It's taken a little bit of time to get off the ground, but they're, they they tell me that they're working on it. And uh, right now, there is a sign-up to be notified yeah. when things start, and then they'll start rolling that out. And this is beyond the flip your strip. This, this is, is more. This is... Drip
0: irrigation.
2: Lawn. You know, that, that portion of lawn that you never use and, you know, your kids are inside <laughs> playing video games, so they really aren't out there playing in the backyard. Uh, you can get rid of that and, yeah. you know, get something different. It's um, a
0: rebate kind of program. It though. is. That's mm-hmm. at
2: least the goal. Uh, five million, I think everybody has started to recognize, at least on Capitol Hill, the lawmakers I've talked to. Yeah. yeah, that's not enough. And this is where we get into the ongoing policy discussions about appropriations. Where do you spend money? Mm-hmm. Um, what are you going to fund? And if conservation is something that you really want to advance from a policy perspective, then, you know, it's going to take money.
0: You profiled a couple in that story out of St. George Carey and Wilson Jimenez, and they did it anyway. They're like, we were not going to wait for the rebates. And they saw a huge saving, I think, down from 21,000 gallons of water to
2: 6,400. Yeah. That's and huge. She said like 14,000 gallons in like the first month. Wow. In a decline. Just to give you an idea of how much water – it was taking on that lawn. In St. George. Yeah. And and he doesn't miss mowing the lawn at all. It's <laughs> kind of, was, there are, there are silver awesome. linings to this. <laughs> and yeah, they just decided for the principle of the matter yeah. to pursue this um, regardless of rebates. I mean, they said, hey, the money would have been nice to help us, you know, but
0: uh. <laughs> we'll try this. Talking with Ben Winslow of Fox 13, political reporter, has done quite a few stories recently on issues that affect the viability of the Great Salt Lake. And solutions journalism is a focus of the Great Salt Lake collaborative folks, which KRCL, Fox 13 are a part of, and wanting to offer solutions to the community. And I really love the special blend of grass story that put a run on it,
2: and they're sold out. So can you
0: kind of back up and tell us what this was about and how you discovered it?
2: Yeah. So this was just something that came about in a casual conversation. And then I kind of forgot that it was there. And then (laughs) when you're on deadline, you're talking to people. And it's like, oh, I I should do something on that. (laughs) And so uh, the great folks at Salt Lake City Public Utilities uh, talked to me about this. And what they've done, uh, Stephanie Dewar, their conservation manager, had worked with Utah State and then the Turf Grass Water Conservation Alliance, to create a, a special blend of grass uh, that uses a lot less water, uses about 30% less water at a minimum. Uh, they've ex- they've got it set up at a little park there on uh, California and Emory. I hope I got the address right. I'm going to have to fact check myself before I wreck myself <laughs> here. But um, they've got it set up as a little demonstration and um, they only watered it once a week. Wow, and it still it looked like they were watering it once a day, honestly. Yeah. Um, but it's this blend of grass; it's it's a, a different variety of bluegrass with a little bit of fescue and things like that that are more good for our climate. Yeah, better for our region. Um, and you know they were doing pretty good with it, and yeah, they sold out. Uh, they told me that they sold out of it. Uh, they were only selling it for eight fifty a bag, so wow. you're getting it at like cost, and that's a thousand square feet. So, yeah. um, and. You know, the argument is, is, you know, grass is not necessarily the enemy here, folks. Mm, not public um, enemy number one? No. Um, and, and you can have grass, but it's the idea of replacing and you know, using only functional grass, what, yeah. what you actually use. Mm. And, you know, if you go around your lawn and think about where you actually stand, you know, this is why park strips are not really popular anymore is because does anybody ever play on a park strip?
0: I know. Does anybody
2: stand on a park strip? I don't even have a water system to my park strip. So see, so we kinda a lot have of water to, to keep it green. If you want to do your part, you kinda have to like look around and say, Well, what do I actually use? Mm. What you know, backyards aren't bad things, you know, if you want a place for kids to play, the dog to go, things like that, you know, you, you can have a backyard. It's just how much of it do you use and is it useful? This is where we have the discussion of functional versus yeah. non-functional grasses. So they created this special blend so that if you want functional grass, you can have this special grass. You do have to kill your existing lawn mm-hmm. to plant it, but, yeah. you know, it'll come back um, and and you'll be great. Now, what's interesting is because of this, uh, this blend of grass and the popularity that uh, other cities across uh, – the state have started going, oh, can we get some of that? Can we get like a special can get blend? the
0: Midvale blend, the, the Bountiful
2: like, blend? There's different regions of the state, as I've learned from talking to uh, Dr. Cope with Utah State University who helped design this, Dr. Mm-hmm. Kelly Cope. She uh, said that they do have to kind of formulate it for different parts of the state, southwestern Utah, southeastern Utah. A large part of what they have for Salt Lake City would work for northern Utah, but mm-hmm. these other parts of the state are going to need some formulating, but they're open to the idea of doing this and, and figuring out how to make it happen.
0: It sounds like you've helped them find a new revenue stream.
2: <laughs> well, I, I'm not going to take credit for this. They There's a lot of people who've been doing work yeah. uh, and doing the hard work. I just report on their work. Yeah.
0: So I wanted to ask you for a little perspective, and may, maybe switching you into more of a commentator role here, but when we look at what the public is able to do to move the needle on these projects, uh, and you are up at Capitol Hill watching the paid lobbyists versus people coming up and asking for things from lawmakers. Do they make a difference? Is there any encouragement that you might be able to give folks who are like, my voice doesn't make a difference?
2: I think it's easy to feel Mm -hmm. like your voice isn't heard. um, But I would say show up and play ball. Yeah. Um, Really. uh, Get to know who your lawmaker is. Um, Get to know... You know, the people on certain committees uh, that you're interested in, they make it actually pretty easy. COVID did one good thing, which was accelerating the use of virtual meetings. Uh, You can now chime in in your pajamas. You can listen in. They open up public comment when they take public comment, and you can unmute Mm -hmm. and weigh in when they call on you, Um, and they've kept that even though they've gone back to in-person hearings. Um, I would say find out who your lawmaker is, get in touch with them. Lawmakers uh, still are very responsive to constituents. Uh, You can go to their uh, meet and greets on weekends, Um, and talk to them face to face and say, you know, I have concerns about this. How are you voting on this? Um, You can send them emails, you can send them text messages. I found they're pretty responsive to constituents. You know, lobbyists get paid to do this. So they're going to be up there all the time. But you as everyday citizens still, you vote for them. (laughs) You can go and get engaged with them and say, even when they're campaigning, they're out knocking on doors right now wanting your vote. So you can talk to them and say, hey, what are you doing about the Great Salt Lake? What are your positions on, you know, these conservation measures? And, you know, you can feel them out and see, you know, mm-hmm. is it, are they someone that's worthy of your support?
0: Well, Ben, thanks so much for taking some time. I, I Absolutely. I know you're between newscasts. Your latest story on interim and water is posted on the
2: website, which is? Fox13now.com.
0: But you also have been recognized for your Twitter game. What's your handle on Twitter?
2: It's at Ben Winslow. And I'm going to warn you, don't put me on mobile alerts. I will wreck your data plan.
0: <laughs> and who knows when the best of Utah comes out if you're going <laughs> to get recognized again. But uh, congratulations on all the great reporting you're doing. And I hope you'll come back now that you know where the new stu- studios are. It's a
2: beautiful new studio. Yeah. So thank you for having yeah, me.
0: Absolutely. And you said, Laura, why aren't you playing this song? You want to play DJ and introduce it?
2: Oh, yes. we. It is You know, it's a special day. It is the (laughs) 21st of September. So here's some earth, wind, and fire. On KRCL.
0: Support for KRCL comes from our listeners and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Lily Center for the Abused Deaf hosts its Purple Tie Gala Saturday, October 1st at the Robert G. Sanderson Deaf Center in Salt Lake. They'll commemorate 22 years of empowering victims of domestic violence and sexual assault with a Roaring Twenties-themed celebration and fundraiser. For more info and opportunities to help, visit slcad.org.
4: Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru, a
0: community partner of YWCA Utah and the Stand Against Racism Challenge. Mark Miller Subaru loves diversity. Learn more at YWCAUtah.org and MarkMillerSubaru.com.
1: My name is Jeff Manwaring, and I'm the owner of Exclusive Excursions, and we do uh, guided boat tours on the Great Salt Lake. I've always just had a dream of doing boat tours, and I tried to move to Hawaii a long time ago, but with the economy crash in 2008, it didn't work out, so I came back here, and I thought, you know, Salt Lake has this huge lake that nobody ever does anything out there. I just thought, if you come to Salt Lake City, you gotta see the Salt Lake, right? We try to tell people about the lake, just keep them interested, some good stories. There's just, as you know, there's just so much history about the Great Salt Lake. It's just such a world unique body of water. So it's really fun to tell people about it. People think of it such a wasteland, you know, it's buggy, it smells, there's no beachfront property or hotels around it. And it is super buggy around the shore, but, Once you get out on the lake, it's definitely one of the prettier places I've seen. And even guests say that, just seeing people float in the water. I mean, there's just a handful of places in the world where you can actually float in water without sinking. And I always jump in with them and brought friends and family out there on the boat. And then yeah, just the sunsets are second to none, just with the red and everything. I mean, if the lake drops another foot or even two feet, I mean, yeah, we'll definitely be out of business because we won't be able to get out of the marina. I mean, it'll suck, I'll be out of business, but I think the bigger issue is just that lake going down, it's going to affect millions of migratory birds, the brine shrimp, the ecosystem of the state of Utah. There's just so many things that are just even bigger than me that if this lake goes down, that we're in trouble. I tell people I would never do boat tours on any other lake Great Salt Lake that's just so unique and so unlike any other lake in the world.
4: This is
0: Lake
3: Effect from the Great Salt Lake Collaborative. Stay salty, Utah.
0: Another collaboration of the Great Salt Lake Collaborative. I'm Laura Jones, and you're listening to Radioactive on KRCL. Coming up at 7 o'clock tonight, it's Democracy Now!, followed by Root Awakening with Liz Schulte at 8, Maximum Distortion with Forgash and Cody D. at 10.30, and then John Florence back to start your brand new day at 6 a.m. If you've missed a couple of shows, well, the last two weeks of any show available on demand at our website, krcl.org, just click on the Programming tab. We're going to round out the rest of our hour, continuing our focus on the Great Salt Lake and through the work of the partners of the Great Salt Lake Collaborative. Joining me in studio now, we have Heather May, Project Manager. How you doing, Heather? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for coming back to fill us in on what's going on. How many stories has this collaborative of news outlets and, and community partners uh, worked on
4: over the last what? Is it just this year that we started? It seems like. Longer. Seems like forever. Um, yeah. Yes, we started in January and my last count was about 120 stories. I bet it's about 135 at this point that mm-hmm. our um, 13 newsrooms have produced and shared with each other.
0: And as we talked about with Ben Winslow, he's headed with a team to Nevada, but we've also had a team go to California for some comparison stories, and we got some big plans to roll that out in the second week of October, I believe.
4: That's right. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but um, it does speak to our mission. So we sent three different newsrooms to California to look into solutions that have been implemented related to Mono Lake and Owens Lake. So... Um, yeah, we have a a killer package coming out about um, air quality mitigation and other ways that other communities have tried to solve the problem of a shrinking or a disappeared lake. One of the big focuses of the
0: Great Salt Lake Collaborative is providing solutions and drawing the public into the conversation and
4: In that vein, we've got a panel discussion series coming up. Can you fill us in and tell us the outline? Yes, you bet. So um, our partners include not just newsrooms, but community organizations, including the Salt Lake City Public Library. And they have created a series. um, We have three lecture series happening. Our first one is next Wednesday, the 28th, at the Marmalade branch of the library. And um, the first one is going to focus on the lake's cultural history. We have our partner, um, Elaine Clark, KUBR news director, is going to moderate, and we have three guest speakers um, who are going to talk about um, how the lake has affected human life for indigenous communities and settlers. Um, I can talk about the speakers if you'd like. Yeah, that'd be great. Who's going to be on that panel? Great. It's uh, Darren Perry, former chairman of the Northwestern Band of the Shoshone Nation, uh, Gregory Smoke, director of the American West Center, and Darren Duke, an archaeologist who's done uh, fieldwork on the U.S. military's Utah test and training range so um, they just discovered 88 human footprints um, on that range which date back to more than 12,000 years ago. Yeah. So she will be moderating a discussion with those three. And then what's coming down the road
0: with this discussion series? Have we, have we kind of set those yet?
4: We have. So October 19th I believe is the second one uh, moderated by uh, Ben Winslow of Fox 13. Um, this one will include um, Brad Wilson, the Speaker of the Utah House, Um, Linda Freitas with Friends of the Great Salt Lake and Sarah Null, a USU watershed professor, and they're gonna talk about what are the solutions, is it too late, how much time do we have? Yeah, with October, and uh, that's just months away from the new general session of the Utah legislature, so that'll be
0: really interesting.
4: Yes, and then one in November, um, I don't have the date in front of me, but this is going to be about how does the lake affect um, ecology, air quality, snowpack? And we'll get all of those into rallies and resources, folks. But where can people catch up on all the stories? Uh, greatsaltlakenews.org you can get information about uh, the lecture series at the very bottom of the homepage under events Um, all of our news uh, all those 130 stories are there along with um, the lake effect that you just ran Uh, we have all of those uh, features and more and two other things i wanted folks to know about before where we wrap your conversation that is the newsletter and the great salt lake anthology gala Yes, um, so we started a um, newsletter called Lake Effect. Um, you can go and subscribe on our website. And then we have um today was the last day for folks to submit their work for our uh, community anthology with the salt lake uh, Salt Lake Community College. Uh, Community Writing Center is producing this. And um, those who submit can come to our gala, gala, um, October 27th. Um, it feels like we're planning a wedding, but we have a lot <laughs> of cool. Uh, we're finding out all the beers of the Great Salt Lake. Um, beers of the Great Salt yeah, Lake. Yeah, like we're going to feature some beers. Um, and, uh, of course, all of the work <laughs> of the people who submitted, but on the on the party end. Uh. I, I lied. one last thing. You know, we're still looking, folks, for your story
0: of the great salt lake um we've got a QA series that's going on but lake effect has another dozen or more uh, uh, episodes that they want to produce so how can people
4: throw their hat into the ring to share their story um yes if you want to participate in lake effect the audio postcard series um you can go to great salt under the get involved tab um you can submit uh, your information there Hey, thanks so much, Heather. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you. And you're welcome to go while we wrap our, our show with our next guest, but you're also welcome to you know be the peanut gallery for Chris's conversation. <laughs> right? It's up to you, okay? So Chris Brown is here from the Nature Conservancy, and maybe you can just start with a, a reminder of what this nonprofit does in our community.
5: Well, the Nature Conservancy is a worldwide, nationwide uh, conservation organization, one of the largest conservation organizations in the world uh just mainly you know private donations dollars for, you know where we get our funding from uh we do get some grants and things like that through the federal government We were founded in 1951 we own properties all over the united states and all over the world and that's kind of you know that that's kind of been our mantra for over the years. Is you know, if it's worth protecting, we'll we'll buy it and we'll try and save it.
0: And the Nature Conservancy has the Great Salt Lake Shorelands Preserve. We're talking what forty four hundred acres of wetlands and uplands habitat along the eastern edge of the Great Salt Lake.
5: Yeah, the, the Great Salt Lake Shorelands Preserve. Uh, we first started buying property out there in nineteen eighty three during the flood years. Uh, that was when and. Back then, uh, land was relatively cheap. Back then, it was mostly underwater. <laughs> there so, was no, yeah,
0: land rush going yeah, on. Yeah, so
5: our, our, our some of my previous uh, colleagues were had the smarts to go out there and start buying that land at the time, uh, you know, thinking that sometime the lake's going to come back down and. And it was kind of the only privately held outside of some of the, uh, the private duck hunting clubs along the Great Salt Lake that was unprotected, and it was in many, many different ownerships, many different owners, and they started patchworking that together in 1983 to get us to where we are today. We do have a visitor center that's located on 3200 West in Layton. It's open seven days a week, 365 days a year, and it's kind of a self-guided tour. We have restroom facilities and things there. So, you know, if you want to go out and see the lake or, and this is a great time of the year, especially with the fall and the change in the colors, it's a great time to get out there and visit and and just take a walk.
0: So the Nature Conservancy, you've been there for 20 years. You're currently the director of stewardship. Mm -hmm. So what's the big picture as the director of stewardship? when you look at this record low level of the lake?
5: Well, that's kind of been the – I've I've worked on the lake when we were near the record high, and I'm – well, I should say <laughs> – The big was, flood and yeah, the pumps I've issue of the, the 80s? I was, I was 13 back then, but – Yeah. So I've been around the lake for most of my life, and then uh, we did have another little bump in the lake in 1996 where it kind of came back up again. But ever since that point, it's been just kind of a long trend downward. And so uh, as I took over running the Great Salt Lake Shorelands Preserve – one of the big things that we looked at was like you know we're we're gonna run out of water at some point. We were you know and water is very expensive. I mean we've bought water shares when we've been able to. I mean we used to could get a share of water for five thousand dollars. Now you're looking at sixty seventy grand and upward to get to buy purchase water shares. One thing we were very fortunate at the Great Salt Lake Shoreline Preserve is we had a lot of tail water that came off agriculture. So when the farmers weren't watering, the water came to us. When they were, you know, when when they were irrigate the crops, the water would come to us. So we got a lot of free water, and basically most of the marsh along the east side of the Great Salt Lake, outside of Farmington Bay and say uh, Ogden Bay, most of that marsh was supported by that tail water and those agricultural water shares that went out to those wetlands. Well developments come, things are shrinking, the farmers are going away, the water's disappearing, it's going back into secondary water use, and so a lot of that free water is leaving. So we still try to buy water when we can, but it's really difficult, and it's very, like I said, it's very expensive. But when that agriculture water disappeared, we started getting a lot more Stormwater and stormwater has become a huge issue. It's we've get, we're the low spot, as Katie said. You know that the Great Salt Lake's a terminal basin, and everything flows there. So whether it's the streams or the water off the street, it's all coming to it's all coming to the lake.
0: All right. So you have a new stormwater strategy, and if you were listening earlier this hour, you heard Katie talk about you know microwaves and couches and <laughs> trucks that end up out there. So what is it that you're doing with stormwater, and how are you using it? And you're going to build what, forty more acres of wetlands and bird habitat?
5: Yeah. Well, this is this is a we've done a few. This is kind of a series of projects, and we'd like to do more. So as as, as I worked out there over the years, we we'd slow. I mean, we'd get the storm water, but with the storm water, mother, it was dependent on mother nature, and it would just kind of come and it would run out the lake and it was gone.
0: We haven't had a lot of storms despite no, today.
5: No, except for today, which was was wonderful. But we, as those storm, as that was storm water would come to the lake, it sometimes brings garbage with it. A lot of plastics, you know, and you never know what's going to come down. And we'll get these big flows of water that will come down some of these drains. I mean, part of our preserve, I think, that I'm not exactly sure on the number, but we take 70% of late-in-city stormwater. And so that – brings with it a lot of garbage and trash and debris we also manage the legacy nature preserve which the jordan river runs through it and that brings a lot of debris and over the years we just wash this debris and we do these volunteer cleanups where we go out and clean up garbage like katie's doing and and we and i I swear! I've spent half my life walking around picking up plastic <laughs> bottles the last 10 years, or last 20 years, and so we started to look at how can we use this water more wisely and clean it up before it gets to the lake.
0: So this construction of 40 acres of open water wetland basins, what does that entail? Can you walk us through what this is going to physically be?
5: Okay, yeah. So what it is, the Freeport Drain comes in. It comes into our preserve. It's a, a major drain for the Freeport Center and Clearfield City, and some of Lake City's stormwater runs into it so when that water would come we'd get all this garbage and silt and as we discussed so what we decided to do is we've decided we got some funding we used the wetland restoration initiative through the state to help pay for some of the engineering and then we just raised private dollars from a lot of our generous donors to to raise this money and we came up with a concept we had this piece of ground let's let's bring this water into the preserve let's create a diversion structure where we can catch the plastics the floatables the debris kind of let the silt and things that are in the stream settle out and then we'll divert it into the into the preserve and we create and we're going to create a levee and a, or a dike as other people call it and put water control structure on that and actually catch that water and then let the wetlands do what they're supposed to do and let the new wetlands that'll be there filter out that water clean out any heavy metals and things like that and then we will release that water back into the lake and it should be Cleaner than it was when it got here. At least it won't have the plastics in it or things like that, but it'll, in theory, it should be much cleaner. And we create a more stable habitat along the Great Salt Lake with that water for the birds to use when they come through.
0: So, again, the screening process will prevent garbage and silt from Mm -hmm. getting into the water that is distributed in this. Portion of the preserve, but you need volunteers then to help pick up the litter and properly dispose of it. Is this where the public can help you in this project?
5: Well, we have other places where we're other project areas along the the preserve where we haven't we don't have these uh, measures in yet. Mm -hmm. This one, that's going to be me and my assistants or my my, my my helper. I hate this. Mike. You're not my helper. You're my you're my sidekick. But we we're gonna clean all that stuff up, and we're gonna we're gonna be the ones cleaning that up. And there, we're,
0: there's a cost to that though, and and in, in terms of you know your time and and, and labor. So it, I'm telling you folks, you want to get involved in a cause to, to have a direct impact. All the nature Conservancy. Yeah, we do
5: we do a, we do a cleanup every every <laughs> summer and usually in the fall too. So we go out and clean up garbage along our creeks and try and get rid of that plastic and and recycle and do what, what we can with that. So.
0: Have you done your fall cleanup yet?
5: Uh, I don't think we have one scheduled this fall but okay. we did our we did our spring one okay. already so'll well, be
0: sure and let us know so we can help you get the oh, yeah, word yeah, out yeah for sure but this is just 40 acres what do you think more needs to be done and, and what is it going to cost to really get a, a, a big push on this in
5: well I, we have more areas that we have more water like this coming into the preserve it we'd like to do more projects like this we've already done one with the city of Kaysville where they funded the project. And they paid for the whole thing. We created a trash collection system. We have a box or a sump that all that silt settles into. The city comes and cleans it up, and then we divert the water into a series of wetlands that we created, and then once again, release it into the lake.
0: What's that conversation like with Kaysville or those types of partners to convince them that this is a good thing to do? It's a good return on investment uh, for the social contract, in essence.
5: Well, Kaysville City—they've been on board from day one. I mean, they're, they're, the cities are required by law that they have to do things with their stormwater to get it clean. The problem is, most of the time, they want to build detention basins on site in the middle of subdivisions. And what happens? The water goes in there, and then it just becomes a big, you know, garbage Mosquito collector. Pond. Yeah, it starts growing non-native plants like Phragmites, and it becomes a big, a big hassle for them to clean up. So instead of building those up there they said hey what if we build one for you down here we'll build what you want how you want it to your specs you guys are going to be here managing the land and taking care of it you know what if we do this for you and for us it was a great win-win for us we got more wetlands we got cleaner water and it saved us a lot of work cleaning out garbage and silt out of those streams and, and channels
0: Well, like you said earlier, you've been on around the lake since you were 13, 20 years with the Nature Conservancy. Mm -hmm. When did you start marking it in your brain that something's not right here and this is not a good trajectory that the lake is on?
5: I think when this whole project was born in in our ideas and we came up with it, uh, along the Legacy Nature Preserve, the Jordan River runs through us and there's a and we would just watch just trash go down and it would pile up behind a, a diversion structure that fed the duck clubs in Farmington Bay called the Burnham Dam, and there was no way to get to it to clean it up. So this huge debris would just pile up behind that, and the only way to get rid of it was just open it up and let it go out to the lake. And so you would start to see these things as you go out on the lake in an airboat, you'd find all kinds of, you know, like Katie said, you never knew what you are going to find, just plastic bottles and trash. And then we started to see birds that actually would have plastic bags caught on them or you know the little rings on uh disposable bottles or pot bottles for whatever reason water a lot of ducks like to pick those up and they'd get them in their mouth and get them wrapped around the top of their head and then you'd see them with this thing basically choking them so that's when and then as the lake was shrinking it was like what are we going to do we're losing all this habitat we got this nasty storm water but let's find a way to clean it up and use it and make it beneficial to us
0: you basically did a PSA for why single use plastic <laughs> needs to go away or an individual choice to not use that anymore.
5: Yeah, me me and Mike that I work with, we just I mean, that's I swear it's the bane of our existence. We walk around all day picking up plastic because it just it just comes and it just keeps coming and it never goes away. And, and in any of these areas where we've put in these measures like the Freeport Drain, which we're constructing now and and the project with uh Kaysville City we don't see it anymore because yeah. it's getting caught and so it's making our life easier it's making the habitat better and it's just all around cleaner for everybody
0: so for folks listening who can use their voice to support projects like this what's your what's your advice to them in terms of contacting their representative what argument can they make about why this is a good deal for everybody
5: well i think you know it just as you said single-use plastics is i think we need to start changing our mindset on that and, and it just it. Just because it goes in a, you know, in, in the garbage, or put
0: it in my recycle can. Yeah, well, I you <laughs> know I
5: hope it goes in the recycle can. It goes somewhere good, but it, when it you see a plastic rolling down the street, it goes in a storm drain and it ends up in a bird refuge or a or a preserve like ours, or the Great Salt Lake. And then there's also things you know with uh, stormwater quality that that the uh, EPA and is wanting to do some new regulations with stormwater where they want to retain that on site inside neighborhoods. And then let it percolate into the ground, but the problem with that is that's water that would have essentially got to the lake, and we're not mm-hmm. going to get it now. And so we're kind of that makes us nervous because if we can use that water out in the Great Salt Lake yeah. and we can clean it up rather it sit in a subdivision, I think it's better.
0: Well, lawmakers passed that in-stream flow bill Mm -hmm. earlier this year, so a beneficial use is just letting the water go to the Great Salt Lake. We talked earlier this hour about personhood and sovereignty for uh, the Great Salt Lake, but maybe also the rivers and tributaries that feed it. You got any message for lawmakers about if you could wave a magic wand, what you'd like them to do?
5: Well, I'd like them to let us if we can use as much water as we can for in stream flow that would be great let us use it let us find a way to use it and and give us a chance with it i mean it the lake needs it i mean we work out there every day the the silt cloud the dust blowing off the lake every day is just it gets worse and worse every year i have to <laughs> I have to work in it a lot of the times and it's always great as you're sitting there working thinking oh, i'm just breathing in arsenic the whole time and mercury so i anything that we can do to just you know water conservation measures in stream flows and just pr- water saving projects with agriculture we're doing some of that ourselves. anything we can do i think that's that's the right route
0: you know i think about when times were good when the water was flowing and you know the 80s when you were 13 and i was somewhat around that age Yeah. Uh, and then we built those pumps that cost millions of dollars and probably are rusted and, and, yeah but we'll need again hopefully someday um, but you have any lake stories you'd like to share? We got some time here as we wrap up the show, because I'm looking at the opportunities with the, the nature conservancy to go out and just experience it. Is there, can you paint a picture for us about your favorite spot out there?
5: Well, I love, I grew up on the lake. I, I grew up duck hunting with my uncle out there and my brother. And that's kind of how I got started with my love of the lake. I left for a while, but I, the lake always drew, drew me back. And so when, you know, once I was a and I worked at Farrington Bay waterfowl management area too, prior to that. And so, when the opportunity came up with the Nature Conservancy and I, I, I got the opportunity, I, I, I knew this is where I wanted to be. And I've kind of tried to, you know, do what I can to help the lake and make it better. And it's just it's just an amazing place. And it's a lot of people don't realize what's out there. And it just and I guess, you know, one of my my biggest memories I think I've ever had is, is one fall day. There's a little bird that comes to the Great Salt Lake uh, called the Wilson's phalaropes, and they uh, they fly here from Argentina. They stop, eat the brine shrimp, they stay for you know three four weeks, then head to the Arctic, and then and then. You know nest for the summer well then they come back in the fall do the same thing on their way back to argentina and as a storm like today came blowing across the lake it was dark and cloudy and and it was just one of those just nasty days and the storm was coming in as the storm was coming out of the north the birds always tend to migrate on the storm they always seem to follow it in front of it or behind it and as the storm was coming through the clouds were drooping low and it was just getting really dark and and, and nasty i looked up and it was, and just by the thousands, these fowler and then these birds are just small. I mean, they're smaller than a robin. Just started shooting out of that storm on the front of that storm, just diving into the Great Salt Lake. And just, I mean, it just went on for for just, I swear an hour, and it was probably only 20 minutes, but it seemed like an hour. And it was one of those moments that just kind of hit me that was like, you know, I'm doing the right thing here and and this lake is important. Because, you know, three quarters of that world's population stops at the Great Salt Lake or more. And if the lake's not there, they're not going to be here.
4: Wow.
0: That's some fast, fantastic story. As I went and walked around the block earlier this afternoon and the clouds were really building and it started to spit a little bit is what I call it. I was excited. I'm like, there's rain. There's going to be rain. Has that been similar for you this summer? Has it's been so hot?
5: Well, yeah, this, yeah, this summer was unbearable. Uh, it was just—it you know, was work outside all the time and we're in the marsh and, and the wetlands and it's just hot and muggy and it just it was unrelenting this summer and it just seems to get every gets worse every summer and this summer I thought towards when it finally because it was notorious every the, about the first of September for as long as I could remember we'd always get a cold snap and it would cold it would cool down again it was like oh this is great. And we just don't get those anymore. We got it. a heat dome this That's time. That's what happened this year. We get a heat dome, and it gets to 102 or 3 or whatever it was. And, and it was just like, this is not right. This isn't the way it should be. But on the, you know, the other side is we've been seeing these these storms and this rain come through. And watching the grass rebound and the marsh come back to life. you know, With a, with a wetland, all you got to do is add water, and it'll just... Pop right back and so just seeing that little bit of water and what it did was just amazing just this fall and right now you know a lot of the birds are coming back through on their migration you know the the waterfowl migration peak is here and you know the next couple weeks and so we'll just see these record numbers and i'm afraid you know they're not going to stay long because there's just not a lot out there for them right now except for in certain areas but what we have we want to make it the best we can for them and hopefully give them something to Something to come back to.
0: Well, at the Nature Conservancy's Great Salt Lake Shorelands Preserve, you've got a one-mile boardwalk and a great mm-hmm. spot for people to either get reacquainted with or perhaps discover for the first time. Can you tell us about that?
5: Yeah, sure. The, the boardwalk's about a mile. There's all kinds of interpretive panels along there that explain the lake, the plants, the... the the birds you know just kind of how the lake works there's a there's a uh, observation tower that you can go up and get you a bird eye view it's like 30 foot yeah it'll get you a bird's eye view of the lake so you can kind of actually see the you know well i used to could see the lake you can't see it anymore but you'll see the wetlands that are associated with the great salt lake off the boardwalk because that's the one thing there's the great salt lake and then there's these fringe wetlands that we take care of along the edge and so you can get up there and see you know kind of get a bird's eye view of what's out there
0: what kind of birds are you always looking for this time of year
5: this year uh, this is a big time of year the avocets and and, and the fowler ropes and things like that are if most of the majority of them are coming through or they have left i mean this is a big time for waterfowl to come through so which when i say waterfowl i mean ducks you know in particular geese things like that and then later in november we'll start to see a lot of the tundra swans and the trumpeter swans start coming in uh, from up north oh yeah it's there's nothing better than a, when you go out and there's a you know 5000 tundra swans out there cuz they're very vocal and they make a lot of ruckus and they're they're fun to listen to.
0: Well, the ones that I'm always looking for that I'm just like I just, you know, spotted the gold beetle bug, right? Yeah. <laughs> Is uh, the pelicans. Yeah. Because that shouldn't exist. It's just the physics of them flying.
5: Oh, yeah. This has been kind of a weird summer. because And it's funny you said that because I thought about them today. And it's like, I just haven't seen pelicans like I've normally <gasps> seen them. And I think because the lake's dry, some of the bo- the birds are starting to shift a little further north. Wow. And so I think they're, they're trying to find areas north where there's a little more water. But yeah, pelicans are a big one along the Great Salt Lake.
0: Well, I just wanted to go back to the strategy for stormwater one more time and kind of get this timeline for these 40 acres of open water wetland basins these shallow ponds that will help screen the water coming out of the freeport drainage so um uh, actively under construction right now yes
5: we started construction approximately three weeks ago we hope to be finished by november 1st uh as everything in in the world expenses were astronomical this year price but we got a good we got a good bid on it and we started construction uh, the project will cost us approximately two hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars to build, uh, and it's actively under construction right now. And like I say, we hope to have it done in November and and turn in the water and start cleaning the water.
0: And it's fully funded, right?
5: Yep, we're completely funded. We had some great donors that donated to that and helped us make this get make this project a, a reality. And, uh Mike, that I work with, we, you know, I, I had this vision in my mind, and Mike went out and got the money, and we we build it. And so we kind of sit back and we pat ourselves on the back because it's like, hey, we got this done, and it's it's fun yeah. to watch it come together.
0: Mike's a good sidekick.
5: Yeah, he's a good sidekick. No, we 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 get a lot done together. Even though you'd look at the two of us together and think, man, there's Dumb and Dumber, but we <laughs> <laughs> but we we get it we get it done.
0: Mike, I'll offer you equal yeah. time if you like. I give to it. I'll get, I gotta give a
5: issue shout out to Mike Coleridge. Analyst, my that works with me yeah. yeah
0: so after this project which wraps hopefully on time on budget in november what's next on your wish list
5: well next on my wish list is after the summer i'd like to I wish i hope my my boss will get me a new tractor because i need one with air conditioning that would be great <laughs> uh, it was a little hot this summer but uh I think are you know getting some more water in the lake and seeing if maybe we can find some funding to purchase some water shares if they become available. And then yeah. we've got some more projects we'd like to do like this. Uh, we, I met with Kaysville City just yesterday to talk about you know what's the future of stormwater within the city and what they can do to help us and how we can help them and and make it a win-win for both of us.
0: You know I think we're really used to talking on this show about land conservation, but buying up those water shares mm-hmm. is a huge. Uh, component of the strategy.
5: Yeah, when you buy land, I mean, if you're going to buy a wetland, if you're going to buy land and maintain it as a wetland, you got to have water. And so that was a huge Mm -hmm. thing that's just getting the water and being able to supply that water to us and figure out what we need to keep it as a healthy ecosystem. And so that's what we're kind of working on now is to secure that.
0: Well, Chris, thanks so much for coming down no, and stepping into me. the the booth with us. Where can people get a hold of the Nature Conservancy Center and specifically Utah projects so that they can get involved?
5: we just on our website, you, you know, the natureconservancy.org or tnc.org, and you can get on there. And we have a volunteer section where you can look at volunteer opportunities and just gives you an overview of all our properties within the state.
0: Well, please come back anytime. Bring oh. your sidekick next time. Yeah, for sure. And we'll do a round of music meets activism or something. Like I like that. it. All Sounds right, got to get your playlist for working on the Great Salt Lake. I'll
5: get them. One of those all I right. can.
0: Well, that is our show, everybody. Thank you so much to all of our guests and for you for plugging into your community. I'm Laura Jones. Democracy Now is coming up next, but uh, I had a chance to talk briefly, <laughs> very briefly. You're all going to laugh at how briefly this is, with uh, a musician I caught in our parking lot today, uh, Dirtwire playing at the Commonwealth Room tonight. So here. we we go. They're going to take us out.
1: Hey, this is Evan Fraser from Dirtwire.
0: Playing the Commonwealth Room tonight. What can folks expect?
1: We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to get down and boogie. There's going to be some cool lights. Simba Sax is opening up, and we're going to have a lot of fun. Let's get down.
0: In the meantime, the RV life—you got it parked out here in the <laughs> parking lot. How's that going?
1: RV life is full of people and gear. It's 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 classic.
0: <laughs> hey, thanks for stopping by the station.
1: Glad I could come by.
0: See, I told you it was really short. So here I got this for you. Dirtwire and the Black Lodge Singers Intertribal taking us out here on Radioactive KRCL 90.9.